This is Wealth Wake Up with Dick Donahue on KGMI News Talk 790, 96.5 FM in Bellingham and KGMI.com. The opinions voiced in Wealth Wake Up with Dick Donahue are for general information only and are not intended to provide specific advice or recommendations for any individual. To determine what may be appropriate for you, consult with your attorney, accountant, financial, or tax advisor prior to investing. Guests on Wealth Wake Up with Dick Donahue are not affiliated with CWM LLC. Investment advisory services offered through CWM LLC, a registered investment advisor. Welcome to Wealth Wake Up this Sunday morning here on KGMI. Dick Donahue with you, wealth advisor, certified financial planner, accredited investment fiduciary, all those nice things. Going to start out today talking about hard landing, soft landing, or no landing. In the past few weeks, a growing chorus of economists and investors have decided that the pessimistic narrative had it wrong all along, that the U.S. isn't headed for a hard landing, which would mean a recession. It isn't even headed for a soft landing, which would mean a prolonged period of low economic growth. What they think we're going to get is no landing at all, that the U.S. economy reaccelerates from here and does just fine. No fuss, no muss. In turn, that means the bottom of the S&P 500 back on October 12th at 3,577 was the bottom for the bear market, which is likely already over. We wish and we hope so. But instead, we think there's a very rosy interpretation of recent economic reports. Yes, consumer spending has reported very strong for January, even when adjusted for inflation, but this is something we predicted based on unusually warm winter weather and how the policy responds to COVIDs, including massive fiscal stimuluses wrecked havoc, with traditional seasonal adjustments making November and December look worse by comparison and January look better. The problem for the no-landing theory is that inflation remains a major problem. The consumer price index is up 6.4% from a year ago, not that much of a decline versus 7.5% in the year ending January of 22. But the Federal Reserve is following something called supercore inflation, which is part of the PCE deflator. That figure excludes food and energy, like the regular core, but also excludes all other goods as well as shelter costs, or some claim that inflation measures are misjudging rents. But Supercore PCE prices rose 7.4% annual rate in January, and that's the fastest increase in any month since 2021. And Supercore PCE prices are up 4.6% in the past 12 months, barely lower than the 5% increase in the year ending in January of 22. Either way, this is not enough progress on inflation to satisfy the Fed, which means a higher risk of ongoing hikes in short-term interest rates until there's more evidence that inflation is coming back down towards 2%. Meanwhile, the economic morphine of government checks and loose monetary policy is wearing off. The federal government was handing out checks like candy in 20 and 21, and the Fed had kept short-term rates below the pace of inflation for most of the last 15 years. But after surging to 20 and 21, the M2 measure of money supply hit a wall in early 22. It declined during the past year for most of any year since the Great Depression. 
The yield curve is steeply inverted and likely to get more so in the next few months, which is consistent with risk aversion among investors and in corporate America. We expect prolonged weakness in business investment as equipment as well as commercial construction. And after surging rapidly last year, the pace of inventory accumulation should cool off also. Combining these should pose a big headwind for GDP growth later this year. And while some are heartened by the low unemployment and recent rapid job growth, we don't think these are hurdles to a recession. The labor market is a lagging indicator of economic performance. Meanwhile, job growth and wages are likely to slow, which means that tepid gains in consumer purchasing power at the same time low-income households have run out of stimulus-induced savings. The bottom line is that none of the recent reports has changed our forecast of a recession. Given the Fed's reaction function and the decline of the M2 that's already happened, if we get more growth than expected in the near term, that means more pain later and on when the recession hits. Let's look at our global roundup for the week, and we're seeing that rates have extended their rise. Global equities were slightly firmer on the week despite a continued rise in bond yields. The yield on the U.S. 10-year note reached 4.02% from 3.95% last Friday, while the price of a barrel of West Texas Intermediate Crude Oil rose 3.25 to 77.50, and volatility as measured by the CBOE Volatility Index, or VIX, declined to 19.3 from 22.75 last Friday. The United Kingdom and the EU, that's the European Union, have reached a deal on Northern Ireland. After years of negotiations, the United Kingdom and the European Union reached an amended trade agreement covering Northern Ireland called the Windsor Framework. The accord reduces customs checks for goods traveling between Northern Ireland and the United Kingdom while granting the United Kingdom veto power over EU's legislation to which it objects. British Prime Minister Rishi Sunak said that the deal is the best of both worlds for Northern Ireland, allowing it to retain access to both the internal markets of both the European Union and the United Kingdom. The ratification of the agreement is expected to take months. And we're seeing that the PMI show global economic resilience. Economic activity picked up in the Eurozone in February as the S&P 500 Global Composite PMI rose to 52 from 50.2 in January. The uptick in the United Kingdom was more pronounced as the composite, which measures both manufacturing services, rose to 53.1 in February from 48.5 in January. And in China, the Caxian Composite PMI rose to 54.2 from 51.1 the month before. In the U.S., the S&P Global Composite PMI grows to 50.1 from 46.8 in January, and robust services activity helped push up most of those indices higher. Some quick hits around the world. Reuters reported this week that the U.S. is sounding out close allies about the possibility of imposing new sanctions on China if Beijing provides military support to Russia for its war in the Ukraine. Unemployment in the Eurozone ticked up a tenth of 1% to 6.7% in January. And U.S. durable goods orders gave back most of December's 5.1% gain, falling 4.5% in January. But core non-defense capital goods, except aircraft, rose 8 tenths of 1% after falling 3 tenths of 1% in December. 
And U.S. Treasury Secretary of Treasury Janet Yellen said that she is willing to discuss reducing the deficit with the Republicans, but not as a condition of rising the debt limit. China's National People's Congress gets underway on Sunday, and officials are expected to unveil an ambitious 2023 growth targets. The U.S. Congress voted this week to block the U.S. Department of Labor's ESG rule, setting the stage for the first veto in Biden's term. And in December, Canada's GDP declined a tenth of 1% month over month, rose a weaker than expected 2.3% year over year. And according to ApartmentList.com, apartment rents fell in each of the past six months and are now 3.5% lower than they were in August. The decline follows a two-year, 25% price surge. According to the Wall Street Journal, nearly half a million new units are expected to come online in 2023, potentially putting further downward pressure on prices. And now back above 7%, U.S. mortgage rates have risen about 1% from their January lows, which could frustrate hopes that the worst of the correction in the housing market is behind us. People's Bank of China's Governor Yai Gang said Friday that financial risks in China have been falling in recent years, that overall financial risks are manageable, and key progress has been made in winding down similar financial institutions. And the economic growth in India slowed in the fourth quarter to 4.4% year-over-year from 6.3% in the third quarter, weighed down by high inflation and sluggish demand. According to the Wall Street Journal, two large online recruiting firms report that the U.S. labor market may not be what it seems. ZipRecruiter and Indeed said the job listings on their sites have dropped more than government data reflects. Amid a clash over foreign policy with Saudi Arabia, United Arab Emirates is said to be mulling leaving OPEC. Oil prices dipped on the chatter on the assumption that UAE would increase production if it left the cartel. And finally, on a global basis, the World Bank estimates the damage from the recent earthquake in Turkey totals more than $34 billion. Donahue with you with Wolf Wake Up here on KGMI. We'll be right back. Hello? Summer? Gee, you sound so far away. Oh, you're right. Now is the time to plan for AC. With Barron's preseason air conditioning special, you can skip the line and save big, like $4,000 big. We've stocked up, and there's no better time to upgrade your whole home comfort system. Special discounts apply to anything that cools, including air conditioning, ductless, and electric heat pumps. With energy savings you'll enjoy for years. Barron's Home Performance Experts look beyond the box, finding you affordable ways to improve the comfort, health, and energy efficiency of your home. 100% satisfaction guaranteed. Call Barron now while supplies last and save up to $4,000 when you upgrade your heating and cooling system with qualifying rebates, incentives, and a Silver Shield membership. We've secured low interest financing so everyone gets cooling. See you soon, Summer. Barron, your full-service HVAC, electrical, and plumbing contractor. Our mission, improving lives. DeWard and Bodie's Bellingham Outlet Center on Hannigan Road is stocked full of Ding & Dent appliance deals on refrigerators, freezers, laundry sets, dishwashers, ovens, and more. With deep markdowns because of factory blemishes, dings, and dents. Sometimes not even visible. Other times, the bigger the dent, the bigger the savings. Every appliance is covered with a full factory warranty. Plus, no interest financing options with no money down. Make DeWard and Bodie's Outlet on Hannigan Road your first stop for appliance deals. 
staying connected with your community each Saturday at noon with KGMI's Community Connection as local business leaders share their expert advice. Sponsored by Vibrant USA, Pacific Security, Lighthouse Mission Ministries, Feller Heating and Air Conditioning, and Columbia Fire. Community Connection, Saturdays at noon on KGMI News Talk 790, 96.5 FM in Bellingham and KGMI.com. The opinions expressed on this program are not necessarily those of KGMI or the Cascade Radio Group. If tomorrow all the things were gone, I'd work for all my life. And I had to start again with just my children and my wife. Welcome back to Wealth Wake Up this Sunday morning here on KGMI. Dick Donahue. You? Want to give us a call? We're Asset Advisors. We are located out on the Pacific Highway. That's out Old Highway 99, out by Wilson's Furniture in the Pacific Commerce Center. And our address is 5060 Pacific Highway, Suite 101, Ferndale, 98248. Our phone number, 360-733-1200. Give us a call. To also, check out our website at wealthwakeup.com. Okay, going to continue on with the economic reports for this week. We've got January's Durable Goods report out, and it was a mixed report for January. Overall, new orders for durables fell 4.5% on the month. However, declines were concentrated among very volatile orders for commercial aircraft. If you strip out that single category, orders rose 8 tenths of 1% in January, likely aided by unusually warm weather and a rebound from weaker activity around the 2022 holiday season. If you take out the broader transportation sector, which also includes defense, autos, and aircraft and autos, the orders rose 7 tenths of 1% January and are up 1.6% from a year ago. That seems like good news until you remember that producer prices for capital equipment were up 7.7% from the same period, which means that while orders are still rising in dollar terms, that they are declining when adjusted for inflation. Elevated interest rates, a Fed still hiking, and the fading of COVID-era stimulus that boosted both consumer and business spending are likely to provide turbulent footing throughout much of 23. Diving into the core non-transportation categories, orders in January were led by machinery up 1.6% and computers and electronic products up a half a percent, primary metals up a half a percent. One of the most important pieces of the report, shipments of core non-defense capital goods except aircraft, which is a key input for business investment in the calculation of GDP, rose 1.1% in January following declines from the last two months of 22. If unchanged in February and March, these shipments would be up at a 2.6% annualized rate in the first quarter versus the fourth quarter average, which provides a temporary tailwind for first quarter GDP. The shift from services to goods accelerated overall durable goods purchases beyond what they would have had had COVID never happened. The return towards services means a large portions of goods-related activity will soften in the year ahead, even as some durables that facilitate services recover. And the Federal Theories Institute of Supply Management Index report came out, and the U.S. manufacturing sector remained in contraction territory in February, with only four of 18 industries reporting growth. 
The new orders index rose for the first time in four months, but still remains a contraction territory, with only three of 18 industries reporting growth. This is not surprising given that consumers have been shifting their preferences away from goods and back towards services. However, worries about the future have now caused factories to slow down the pace of production, with that index declining further in February. Meanwhile, the employment index fell back into contraction territory in February, though sentiment still favors attempting to hire rather than reducing employment levels. The hiring to reduction ratio among panelists' comments was 2 to 1 in February compared to 4 to 1 in the previous month. Finally, the prices index jumped to 51.3 in February, the first time in expansion territories in September. This is going to be an important development to follow. A rebound in goods inflation will make it even harder for the Fed to wrestle inflation down to its 2% target. In other news, construction spending declined one-tenth of one percent in January, with large declines in home building and commercial projects more than offsetting gains in manufacturing. And on the housing front, pending home sales, which are contracts on existing homes, surged 8.1% after a 1.1% gain in December. These figures suggest that existing home sales are counted at closing will rise in February for the first time in more than a year. Part of the reason for the partial rebound in home sales might be continuing declines in home prices. The FHFA index, which counts homes financed from conforming mortgages, declined a tenth of 1% in December. The National Case-Shiller index declined three-tenths of 1%. And although both these indices were up in 22, they were down in the second half of the year, and likely remain so until late this year. And on the manufacturing front, the Richmond Fed Index, which is a measure of mid-Atlantic factory sentiment, dropped to minus 16 in February from minus 11 in January, and that's the lowest level since early months of COVID. Finally, the Federal Reserve reported that the M2 measure of money supply ticked up a tenth of 1% in January, but is down 1.7% in the last 12 months. The M2 measure of the money supply soared in the last two years of COVID up 40.4% between February of 2020 and February of 22. In the 11 months since, the M2 measure has declined about 2%. Not only have we never experienced a Fed trying to fight inflation problem under an abundant reserve regime, we've never seen M2 grow so fast for so long or decline so rapidly, at least since the Great Depression. If the recent data is accurate, the economy is in for a very rough time in 23 and 24. We've already seen some weakness in production reports, but are not close to feeling the full brunt of tight money that started last year. Investors must be cautious. A storm could be headed our way. And looking at the February ISM non-manufacturing index, we saw that the service sector continued to expand in February, beating consensus expectations, with 13 of 18 industries reporting growth. Meanwhile, respondent comments were dominated by inflation woes as companies continued to feel pinched by rising costs that show little sign of easing. This can seen clearly in the prices index, which ticked down to a still a very elevated 65.6. And though that is below its peak at the end of 21, make no mistake, inflation is still a major problem in the service sector, with 16 of 18 industries reporting paying higher prices in February. 
We expect the service sector to keep inflation trending well above the Fed's 2% target for some time. In terms of other details in the report, new orders and business activity both expanded at a healthy clip in February. At the same time, the index for supplier deliveries fell back into contraction territory to the lowest level in more than a decade, signaling shorter wait times. And finally, the employment index rose to its highest level since the end of 21. Notably, respondent comments reported an increase in applications, which resulted in more new hires. This is good news since a lack of supply, not demand, has been what's held back service jobs from moving higher. Comparing the two February ISM reports, it's clear that businesses and consumers are shifting resources away from goods and towards the services sector. And while the service sector does not appear to be there yet, we believe that the U.S. economy will enter a recession in 2023. We continue to think that equity investors should be cautious. One thing that we're certain about, there is no such thing as a free lunch. Eventually, the bill for the massive art of initial stimulus of 20 and 21 will come due. In other news, initial unemployment claims fell 2,000 last week to 190,000, while continuing claims rose 1,000 to 1.655 million. Expect another solid payroll report for February, but not near as strong as January. Also earlier this year, automakers reported selling cars and light trucks at a 14.9 million annual rate in February. That was down 6.2% from January, but it's up 8.5% from a year ago. You know, I usually do this um, high-frequency data on the Saturday show, but because I had Patrick Connor on yesterday. I'm going to go ahead and do it today. Initial jobless claims the week of February 24th were 190,000. That was a 1% improvement or decline. Continuing jobless claims as of the 17th of February, 1,655,000. That was also a decline of three-tenths of 1%. Then box office receipts as of the 23rd of March, or March 2nd, I should say, of this year, we're down 41%, another really volatile week. Rail car traffic as of the 24th of February down 1.7%. Steel production as of the 27th of February was up 1.2%. Hotel occupancy continued to show an increase between February 19th and 25th up 5.6%. A lot of spring breakers out there. Operational state of restaurant industry as of March 2nd was down 9.5%. TSA checkpoint data as of March 2nd, 2,189,191 passengers a day. That was a decline of 2.4% passengers in the week. Supply of motor gasoline as of February 24th was up 2.3%. And global commercial flights continued to increase as of March 2nd, 109,342 flights a day. That was an increase of 1.1%. Dick Donahue with you with Wolf Wake up here on KGMI. We'll be back shortly. We don't have the usual traffic jams that they have in the big city, but sometimes things happen to snarl everything up. Depend on KGMI to keep you cruising to your destination with KGMI traffic alerts. We'll tell you where the trouble spots are. And if you see problems on the road, give us a call at 360-676-5464 so we can spread the word. KGMI News Talk 790, 96.5 FM, and KGMI.com. Bringing the world to Whatcom County and Northwest Washington. The People's Republic of China. They're launching the first pieces of their own space station. The John Bachelor Show. 
Weekday evenings from 6 to 10. They're going to use what they learn in, in constructing this station and having people live on it to plan their uh, manned interplanetary shift and to do it as quickly as possible. On KGMI News Talk 790, 96.5 FM and KGMI.com. Wave away the winter blues with $270,000 in cash, free play, and trips. Win your share of paradise every Friday through March with hourly drawings starting at 6 p.m. The Hawaiian vacation of your dreams is closer than you think. Earn entries by playing with your Reef Rewards card. Claim one free daily entry. Unlock fuel discounts of up to 25 cents per gallon at Lummy Bay Market next to Silver Reef when you swipe your rewards card at the pump. Silver Reef Casino Resort, located off I-5, exit 260. We've got that. Ready to put some skin in the game? The only sports book north of Snohomish County is now open at Silver Reef Casino Resort. Get in the game with baseball, football, basketball, hockey, and your other favorite sports. Visit Portage Bay Sportsbook and Bar and place your bets today. Sportsbook open daily at 9 a.m. Betting kiosks open 24-7. Silver Reef Casino Resort, located off I-5, exit 260. We've got that. Enjoy your retirement at Meadow Greens, a retirement community offering warm, welcoming, independent, and assisted living apartments. Located on a premier golf course in beautiful Linden, with panoramic views of green rolling hills and snow-capped mountains, Meadow Greens offers a fitness center, wellness programs, tailored social and recreational activities, and complimentary unlimited golf play with cart at Homestead Golf Club. One- and two-bedroom apartments with full kitchens are available, offering the freedom of eating in or enjoying a more social meal at the Outward Nine Restaurant or the Duck Hook Bistro. Then relax with a glass of wine with friends or cozy up next to the fireplace with a good book in the library lounge. Meadow Greens can also be of help when it's time to transition from an independent apartment to assisted living. Call Meadow Greens today to arrange a private tour at 354-8200 and online at meadowgreenslinden.com. The grass is always greener at Meadow Greens. This is Steve Berger, lead counselor and director of Contact Counseling Recovery Services. Despite being a fourth-generation Whatcom County resident from a solid, established family, when I was struggling with alcohol and drug addiction, my family didn't know where to turn to help. By the grace of God and a recovery program, I was able to get sober and have devoted the last 34 years of my life helping others find recovery from addiction. If you or a family member is struggling with substance abuse, please contact us at 360-671-3277 or contactcounseling.com. Lindale Glass is your premier window and door company in Whatcom and Skagit County. With over 35 years of professional installation experience, you can rely on the dedicated employees at Lindale Glass to provide an exceptional install. Lindale Glass features Milgard windows and doors, leading the industry with innovative, high-quality products. You can be assured of a product that is customized for your home. No shortcuts, no gimmicks, just excellent service and exceptional quality from Milgard. Visit a Lindale showroom to learn more or online at lindaleglass.com. KGMI Connects with Joe Tian is about our community and you. I happen to believe that the Bellingham, Whatcom County, uh, the Fraser River Delta, Nooksack, Skagit is an enormous healing area. Each weekday at 4 p.m. I'm the old dog. When I walk down railroads, I'm the one who knows who just got here and who didn't. I see them, they're so angry from where they came from, and then through the years, they mellow out because there's a healing energy here. On KGMI 790, 96.5 FM, and KGMI.com. Relive your favorite.
favorites every day on Bellingham's newest radio station, 98.9 and AM 930 KBay. Kick off your workday with the 9 a.m. music marathon. Over an hour of commercial-free classics. Hit after hit from your favorite artists all day, every day. And the broadcast sponsor of the Bellingham Bells. Listen live online, 98.9kbay.com. Join the fun and be a part of Bellingham's newest radio station, 98.9 and AM 930 KBay. The latest local news and important topics of the day from the West Mechanical Studio. Don't worry about your furnace on the coldest days of the year. Talk with West Mechanical, your independent train dealer, about replacing your old inefficient furnace with a train comfort system. Today, find them at westmechanical.net. Get the latest news and information 24-7 with KGMI News Talk 790, 96.5 FM in Bellingham and KGMI.com. Welcome back to Wealth Wake Up. Dick Donahue with you this Sunday morning. Going to talk a little bit about the U.S. dollar, a little snapshot here. You know, we get asked from time to time what our take on the U.S. dollar, where we think it'll be headed next. The dollar is still regarded as the world's primary reserve currency. Its relative strength over time can be influenced by such things as central bank monetary policy, geopolitics, and trade. U.S. investors with exposure to foreign equities, commodities, and stocks of U.S. national companies are particularly vulnerable to fluctuations in the U.S. dollar. And predicting the direction of the dollar or any currency can be a daunting task. Even professionals who professionalize in it, one thing that we can do, however, is provide some context. As of February 28th, The 10, 20, and 30-year averages for the U.S. dollar index registered readings of 94.07 for 10 years, 88.54 for 20 years, and 91.92 for 30 years, which is a relatively tight range over a span of 30 years. The mean of these averages was 91.51. Furthermore, over the last 30 years, the index peaked at a reading of 120.9 on July 5th of 01, while hitting a period low of 71.33 back on April 22nd of 08. And the U.S. dollar index remains elevated when you compare it to each of those averages. In the last 12 months, the U.S. dollar range index ranged from a low of 96.71 on February 28th of last year to a high of 114.11 on September 27th of last year. Additionally, the U.S. dollar index has closed trading above the 100 mark in every trading session since April 13th of 22, according to data from Bloomberg. The relative value of the dollar has been boosted by the Federal Reserve's aggressive rate hikes and further guidance as well as foreign investors using the dollar as a safe haven over the past year as the war between Russia and Ukraine continued. The takeaway is it doesn't surprise us 
that they see the U.S. dollar currently stands higher on its 10, 20, and 30-year averages. In our view, the relative value of the U.S. dollar has been boosted by the Fed's rate hikes, the continuation of its quantity tightening program to pare down the assets in the balance sheet, as well as a pace up to $95 billion a month, and foreign investors using the dollar as a safe haven destination as the war between Russia and Ukraine wages on. Additionally, if January's strong job reports and higher-than-expected inflation data lead the Fed to tighten interest rates even more, we could see the dollar's value continue to increase even further. And we're also seeing maybe some action on Social Security and trying to bail it out. There's a bipartisan group of senators that are mauling raising the Social Security age. It's a newly formed bipartisan group of senators been meeting quietly to discuss solutions for shoring up Social Security, including gradually raising the retirement age to age 70, according to the global news web network Semaphore. The group expects to release legislative recommendations by the end of the year, according to Senator Mitt Romney, a Utah Republican who spoke to the press this week. And while few details have been released, there are reports that members of the group, including Senator Angus King, a Maine independent, and Senator Bill Cassidy, a Louisiana Republican, are also proposing raising the taxable wage threshold as a way to extend the solvency of Social Security trust fund beyond 2032. Basically, Romney said, I think our recommendations will likely be introduced this year. He said, I'm not sure it'll pass this year, but obviously it's a huge topic with enormous interest in the fact that we have both Medicare and Social Security that are stated to become insolvent within Devocade suggests that we need to make sure that we save them. The push to find solutions is fueled by the Congressional Budget Office's report released in February warning that the Social Security Trust Fund was on track to run out of money by 2032, which is a year earlier than previously had been expected. The potential creation of a new sovereign wealth fund is also being discussed in order to help finance Social Security. It could minimize new taxes and reduce benefits and appears to be arousing interest from both parties. Semaphore was the first to report the fund could involve more than $1.5 trillion in seed money to help finance investments. Now keep in mind, I just said $1.5 trillion. And there are unknowns, and they like exactly how the fund would help raise the money for the program, which is expected to pay out a trillion dollars in benefits this year. So they're going to raise a sovereign fund for $100.5 trillion, and you're paying out a trillion a year? I don't know whether that's going to solve the problem. That's my opinion real quickly. But Romley told The Hill that the proposal would allow the country to be able to borrow at low interest rates and invest in the growth of our economy, perhaps economies of other nations as well. He says that's what other retirement plans do around the world, as corporations and in the railroad world, and it creates a substantial source of revenue. In years where investments don't do terribly well, we could kick in through other sources and make sure that we don't threaten it in a way that benefits our recipients. That means they'd be putting more of our money in there. And senators are also discussing plans in the event of the wealth fund falls short of at least its 8% returns. The discussions include increasing the maximum taxable income and payroll tax rate, as well as rejiggering the formula for calculating monthly benefits. When President Joe Biden continues to push for new taxes on the wealthy to extend the life of Social Security, even that plan may not be a comprehensive solution. 
currently that rate cap or that income cap that we're talking about, incomes up to $160,200 are subject to a 12.4% payroll tax that finances Social Security benefits. If the GOP-led House agreed to raise the cap so that the 12.4% applied to incomes up, say, up to $250,000, that means you're paying tax on another $90,000, another 12.4% on $90,000, that's almost $10,000 more a year when you calculate it out. Well, if they did that, only 73% of Social Security shortfall is going to be covered. So obviously that solution or that proposal is not a real fix. And the Biden administration and the Democrats were able to levy a 70% tax on high earners, which they've talked about doing, and still bring in only $10 trillion in new revenue. The shortfall of $18.8 trillion is needed to shore up Social Security's deficit. So, significant problem there, solutions, I don't know, but I can tell you this much, they're going to do everything they can to raise our taxes as quickly and as much as they can. While we're talking about Social Security, I always get these questions. I'm going to go ahead and get one. I had a question about, can a divorced husband claim a Social Security benefit on his ex-wife's work history? He said, I've been divorced for 20 years and now 71. My ex-wife is seven years younger than me. Her income was double that of mine for the last 20 years. She has not yet begun collecting her Social Security, but I have. Can I collect a spousal benefit on her Social Security earnings record without knowing her Social Security number? And here's the answer. The fact that your former spouse is not already collecting her benefit does not necessarily prevent you from collecting a higher benefit based on her work history. That is the good news. But under a rule that applies only to formerly married spouses, you can qualify as an independently entitled divorced spouse. Since your divorce occurred more than two years ago, and your former spouse is at least eligible to claim a benefit. Since she's 64 and her initial ineligibility would have begun when she reached age 62, if the benefit under her work record is higher, you would be entitled to collect on that difference. However, there's one key element being entitled to benefits under a former spouse record is your marriage lasted more than 10 years prior to your divorce 20 years ago. If you meet the 10-year marriage requirement and you remain unmarried, the higher benefit under her record would continue to pay for as long as you live. And to determine whether a benefit is in the cards for you, you should contact Social Security by phone or by visiting a local office with a certified copy of your marriage certificate and divorce decree in hand. Fortunately, you need not know her Social Security number to determine whether you are entitled to that higher benefit. One final point that we should mention is this. Should your ex-spouse predecease you, survivor benefits are worth as much as 100% of what she's collecting or entitled to collect at the time of her death. Ex-spousal benefits are capped at 50% of her benefits. So initially you might qualify for 50%, but if she passes away, not encouraging that by the way, you would receive 100% of her full benefit. And even if you were to give remarriage another chance at this point in your life, you still could request her higher survivor benefit. Remarriage at age 60 or later does not qualify you from claiming her survivor benefit. 
This is true even if your ex leaves a current spouse who could also collect widower's benefits. So basically all of those spouses would be eligible if they meet those rules. Something to think about, something to keep in mind. Dick Donahue with you with Wealth Wake Up here on KGMI. We'll be back shortly. Thank you for being with us. This is Jake at Vineyard Park of Linden Manor Assisted Living. While the world has changed, the needs of our seniors have not. At Vineyard Park of Linden Manor, we offer independent and assisted living as well as memory care. It's your private apartment. You don't live at our work. We work in your home. We offer 24-hour nursing services, weekly housekeeping, anytime dining, on-site beauty salon, and activities to keep both mind and body young. Find value in community living. Visit our website at carepartnersliving.com and schedule your personal tour today. Attention business owners and managers. Secure your table today for Cascade Radio Group's job fair, Thursday, March 16th in Bellingham at Four Points by Sheraton from 2 till 6 p.m. Registration deadline is this Monday, March 6th. If you have full-time, part-time, or seasonal jobs and you need to hire now? Don't miss this event. Secure your table by Monday's deadline. For details and to register, talk to your Cascade Radio Group rep or send an email to jobfair at cascaderadiogroup.com. That's jobfair at cascaderadiogroup.com. Get informed and inspired with Saturday Morning Live on KGMI. Join a group of knowledgeable hosts as they present a variety of guests and viewpoints on issues important to our area and to you and your family. Sponsored by Asset Advisors, LLC, at Linden Sheet Metal, each Saturday from 8 to 9 a.m. on KGMI, News Talk 790, 96.5 FM in Bellingham, and KGMI.com. I'm Deanna Harrelook. I'm here to keep you informed with the morning news from 6 to 9 a.m. But even with all that time in the morning, there's still so many things I want to talk about. You know, beyond the morning news. And now I have the chance to give you exactly that. Head on over to KGMI.com slash mornings for extended conversations on everything that might not be making headlines. My thoughts on travel, food, music, and hey, maybe a little bit of culture. Beyond the Morning News updates every Tuesday on KGMI.com slash mornings. Cause there ain't no doubt I love this land. God bless the USA. Welcome back to Wealth Wake Up this Sunday morning. Dick Donahue with you here on KGMI. If you got questions for me, give me a call. 360-733-1200. We've talked about this a couple times, but... Uh, we saw a report come out this week that Washington pump price is up the seventh week since the carbon tax became law. Basically, this last Monday, it marked the seventh week of price increases at the pump that Washingtonians since the new carbon tax was implemented early this year. The average price of a gallon of regular unloaded gas was standing at $4.22 statewide last Monday up from $4.18 the week prior, according to AAA data. This 4% per gallon increase contrasts with the natural average, which fell from $3.41 per gallon to $3.36 a gallon, which is a $0.05 a gallon decrease over that same period. We're up 4, nationwide down 5. The cost of all oil accounts for about 55% of what we pay at the pump. So higher or lower costs will play a major role in the price that we pay when we fuel up, according to AAA spokesman Andrew Gross in a statement citing that oil pricing, which fell into the mid-$70 a barrel range 
almost $5 per barrel, below or cheaper than its prior week. And residents in the Evergreen State have to dig deeper into their wallets than most. Washington's pump prices again came in fourth most expensive nationally, beating beat out only by Nevada, California, and Hawaii, who filled out the third to first on the list, hiding Hawaii being first. I mentioned this the other day in an online post where Hawaii's gas prices were about 50 cents more than ours, just over there on vacation, got back. I'm used to paying over a dollar a gallon more over there. Big difference in what's going on here. But Washington's 422 per gallon places it at 86 cents a gallon higher than the national average of $3.36 a gallon. That's a dollar and thirty-one cents per gallon above the nation's least expensive fuel cost at two ninety-one per gallon, currently paid by Texans. In Washington, interstate variance remains high at a dollar twenty-two cents a gallon, down from last week's a dollar thirty-three per gallon. The outliers, San Juan and Asotan counties, represent the most and least expensive gas prices statewide. San Juan at four ninety two a gallon, Asotan County at three seventy a gallon, respectively. And this price variance also still largely follows the Cascade Range, where residents on the west side are paying a premium of the pump more so than residents on the east. That means if you're going east, you might want to fill up over there, not necessarily fill up over here, fill up over there on your way. On the top of these higher prices, as of January 1st this year, Washingtonians also have a new cap-and-trade system to pay for at the pump. According to a report by the Washington Policy Center's Environmental Director Todd Myers, gas prices in Washington quickly spiked $0.10 per gallon relative to California and Oregon. What the data shows is that prices in Washington state jumped suddenly over the past two weeks, much more than other states on the West Coast, according to the report. And ultimately, the full impact of the new carbon tax won't be known until regular auctions occur. The report notes that the new law sets a minimum price of $22 per metric ton of CO2. That translates to $0.17 a gallon. The price could go as high as $81 a metric ton or $0.65 a gallon. Also, keeping track of the state legislature... There was a House Bill 1011 that died in this term. That would have delayed or maybe taken away the long-term care payroll tax starting this July. Repealing the state's long-term care program and taxes proposed in the state's bill of 1011. The bill tried unsuccessfully to get the state out of the bad policy decision that will have a harmful impact on workers that didn't even receive a hearing from House leadership. The discussion... Despite having 31 lawmakers signed on to the legislation, wanting to talk, instead it was waited for attention this entire legislative session before dying what would hope to be a quiet death. I think the next audible outcry this summer, when workers start seeing their 58 cents for every dollar taken from their paycheck, or every $100 from their paycheck for a paltry long-term care policy that they may never need to qualify or receive. Many workers won't appreciate the pay cut and financial options surrounding long-term care that they don't have anymore as they've been taken away. The social program and tax are unpopular with the public, which is part of the reason the state now has an aggressive marketing campaign for Washington Cares. 
The marketing campaign fails to communicate that you might pay for this program for all your working years and never receive the Washington Cares benefit, a benefit that won't even cover many people's long-term care needs. Nor does it mention that the regressive tax means some low-income workers will be forced to hand over a portion of their incomes to benefit others with higher incomes who may not need assistance. This program expands a safety net far too wide. But legislative majority's leadership doesn't seem to want to talk about the trouble with a long-term care program, many being mandated, the Association of Washington Business does. On February 27th, it sent a letter to Governor Inslee and legislative leaders listing Washington care shortcomings and saying that the program is unclear, insolvent, and does not address the actual long-term care needs of all Washington state residents. The letter was signed by a long list of business organizations representing industry and labor across the state. It asks lawmakers to delay the tax or address Washington Care's many problems before implementation. In public business outcry over the long-term care program, had the governor asked lawmakers to delay the new program tax once before, and they did. Tax was really supposed to begin in January of last year. We had an 18-month delay passed by the legislature set through July of this year before the new payroll tax starts coming out. During the delay, Washington Cares has not become more likable or convincing solution for Washington's long-term care crisis. Senator Peter Abrano, Republican of Centralia, is the lawmaker who proposed House Bill 11, 1011. He's disappointed the bill was ignored. On the letter from the Association of Washington Business, he said, This letter does highlight all the problems that should lead everyone to believe that repeal is the only solution. Agreed, lawmakers have passed over a real solution on long-term care needs. It's really a bad piece of legislation. And we're seeing that the U.S. is now slipping into its worst-ever score in the 2023 Index of Economic Freedom. It was released Monday and offers sobering insights into the setbacks of economic freedom across the globe, including regrettably here at home. Since its inception in 1995, the Index on Annual Global Study that compares countries' entrepreneurial policy environments has measured the nation's commitment to limited government and free enterprise by evaluating four critical policy pillars, including the rule of law, fiscal health, and regulatory efficiency. Over time, the index has documented measurable progress in the case for the cause of freedom has swept the globe, empowering everyday families and workers to thrive to hold their political authorities accountable. Noted in the preface that this year's economic freedom is not a gift. However, it must be re-earned every generation. This is a challenge we now face. The timely message is critical relevant to America and the rest of the world now more than ever. There are five key conclusions that could be withdrawn from the 23 index. Economic freedom has suffered a global setback. The economy, the world economy as a whole, has become mostly unfree. Regrettably, the global average economic freedom score has fallen from a previous 60 to 59.3, which is the lowest it's been over the past two decades. Globally, fiscal soundness has deteriorated significantly, rising deficits and mounting public debt in many countries have undermined and will likely undercut their overall productivity growth and ultimately lead to economic slugginess rather than vibrant growth. Within the top 10 rankings, a notable reshuffling has taken place. Singapore maintains its status as the world's freest economy for three consecutive years. Switzerland is now the second freest economy, followed by Ireland and Taiwan has moved up to the number four slot. Taiwan has achieved its highest economic freedom rating since the 2023 index 
And both New Zealand and Australia lost their top-tier economic freedom status, with the latter no longer among the world's top 10 freest economies. New Zealand recorded its second-worst economic freedom score in the 29 history of the index has fallen to a mostly free economy. Especially notable is the continuing decline within the mostly free category of the United States, whose score plummeted to 70.6. It's the lowest level in the history of the index. The U.S. now has the world's 25th freest economy. The major factor in the erosion of Americans' economic freedom is excessive government spending, which has resulted in mounting deficits and deficit burdens. The United Kingdom has also recorded a significant retreat in its economic freedom, becoming only a moderately free economy with a score of 69.9. Britain recorded its lowest rating ever. The size and scope of the state have expanded dramatically since 2020, and significant reforms are needed to place the United Kingdom economy back on a solid path for recovery. And as repressed economy, Contamious China is ranked 154th of the 176 countries whose economic freedom in the index rates. The country's low rating indeed exposes a badly flawed economic and political government's model. It's been exasperated over the past five years as the authoritarian political ideology and loyalty of the Chinese Communist Party and its leader Xi Jinping have increased. China's economic freedom deficit has long distorted the markets beyond its borders. The CCP has been working to constrain freedom not only within its own borders but in the nations around the world. There is still time for America and its willing allies to counter China's malign and anti-freedom influence to other nations, and that window is quickly closing. Washington cannot win the battle of ideas and diplomacy without being proactive in this critical front. As documented once again in 2023 index, economic freedom correlates, correlates significantly with overall well-being, which includes such factors as health, education, the environment, innovation, societal progress, and democratic governments. Of these critical public policy implications, it should be remembered that economic freedom, not the environmental, social, and governments or ESG agenda, makes America the world and the world cleaner, safer, and better government. The true path to ensuring environmental, social, and government improvements lies in focusing on policies that enhance economic freedom. The world and America are at a crossroads. They must choose between the narrow path of self-governments, human dignity, and ordered liberty, or the broad path of an economy run by the managerial elite with no room for dissent or responsibility. One path leads to prosperity, and the other leads to ruins. Dick Donahue with you with Wealth Wake Up here on KGMI. Thanks for being with us. Don't forget our live shows on Saturdays at 11. Got questions for us? Give us a call, 360-733-1200. Thanks, and have a great week. voiced in Wealth Wake Up with Dick Donahue are for general information only and are not intended to provide specific advice or recommendations for any individual. To determine what may be appropriate for you, consult with your attorney, accountant, financial, or tax advisor prior to investing. Guests on Wealth Wake Up with Dick Donahue are not affiliated with CWM LLC. Investment advisory services offered through CWM LLC, a registered investment advisor.